Morning, good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class today is dedicated in loving memory of Nathan Marcus Alava Shalom, Lilui Nishman Atan Ben Rachel, uh, sponsored by the Marcus family, Azaku Baruch. As well, Breakfast in the Class is sponsored by Emmanuel Zade, Zare, <clears throat> dedicated in celebration of Milton Goodstein's 90th birthday. Uh, happy birthday, Azaku Baruch Milton. Breakfast in the class is sponsored by the Breakfast King, Stephen Rapport, in honor of the Kahal, La Haslacha Bakomi Koko. Breakfast in the class is also sponsored in honor of the happy fifth birthday to Samantha Eliana, sponsored by her aunt, Sheba Hurizadeh. I'm sure the five-year-old daughter uh, is very appreciative that there was a class sponsored in her honor. <laughs> That's like when you get a Hanukkah gift and it says a donation has been made on your behalf to the JCF, right? So you open up. But you know what? The funniest thing is even though as a kid you don't appreciate it now, but when you get older or even when you get to Shamayim after 120, it's better than any gift that you sponsor the class. Words of Torah that got shared all around the world. Breakfast in the class also sponsored by Cinema Far. Dedicated in celebration in honor of his wife's birthday, <clears throat> Tanaz Mafar. May Hashem bless her with a long and fulfilled life, good health, and happiness, and endless semachot. Hazaku Baruch. Okay, Rabutai. <clears throat> There's something very interesting about the unfolding of the story of Yaakov and Yosef. We know that Yosef from the time that he sold until he is reunited with his father, how long is that amount of time? Anyone know? 22 years. 22 years that he's not reunited with his father. Finally, after all that time, Yaakov and Yosef uh, embrace and they begin to spend their life together. Now, it is a fascinating thing. Fascinating. The 22 years that Yosef is not there with his father, does not get the opportunity to honor, to take care of, to stand by his father's side, is actually a response to the fact that ya ya Yaakov himself, when he left his father Yitzchak, how long was he gone for from his father's home? 22 years. So the fact that Yaakov did not see his father Yitzchak for 22 years, resulted in the fact that Yitzchak, that, uh, that he didn't see his father Yitzchak, resulted in the fact that Yosef was gone from his father's house for 22 years and didn't see his father for 22 years. It's fascinating to note that Yosef gets how long, from the moment he's born until he's sold, how long is that period of time? 17 years, Vihunar. It's fascinating that Yaakov Avinu in this new iteration after he's reunited with ya Yosef, he moves there when he's 130 years old. How old is he when he passes away? 147, 17 years. This father and son in many ways are mirroring each other's lives. We find this idea and this concept in many, many different places. But the idea of Maaseh Abot Siman Lebanim, that which the parents do becomes a sign for their children. The idea as well that there's a midah kineged midah, that this block of time finds its iteration in another place, the same amount of time, illustrates to us how carefully HaKadosh Baruch Hu is watching the things that we do, how long we do it for, in what, with what energy, with what uh, intent we do it. And ultimately, later on, that becomes something that we need to uh, revisit and live through yet again. 
But my friends, more than anything else, more than anything else, I'd like to talk with you about this opening pasuk of our new parasha. Vayihi Yaakov and Yaakov lived in Egypt. That's what it says. That's how our parasha begins. What is this new lease on life that Yaakov Avinu has? What is going on over here with Yaakov Avinu in the final years of his life? And I want to draw as well a distinction to the part, uh, to the end of last week's parasha, where we see a very different Yaakov Avinu. We mentioned on Shabbat a fascinating uh, uh, insight of Rav Chaim Shmulevitz. We learned that Yaakov Avinu, uh, he gets 33 years taken off of his life. 147 plus 33 would have been 180, which is the amount that the Avot used to live in their lives. Okay? Avraham Avinu should have lived to 180, he had 175. Yitzchak lives to 180, Yaakov far less, 147. Why? Because when Paro asked him, how many years are you living? He responded and he says how bad, how short, how bitter his life was. HaKadosh Baruch Hu takes a year of life for every word that Yaakov Avinu says. But what's interesting is our Chachamim point out that if you count the words in the Pesukim, in the Pesuk there's only 25. We're missing eight years to deduct from his life. And the answer of Chaim Shmulevitz gives is, we count the Pasuk from before. Vayomer paro el Yosef, and paro said to Yosef, to Yaakov, how many years are the years of your life? Why are we counting Paro's words to Yaakov? Because Yaakov's face begged the question. The bitterness, the, uh, the despair, the upset on his face made him look so old that Paro asked him the question. And Yaakov had to pay the price because that is not the way a Jew is supposed to walk around. Now, the difference in Yaakov from then until now, ruach, and the spirit of Yaakov was awakened, it was brought back to life, the Pasuk says. His spirit was brought to life. You see that a person is obligated to live this way. Now I want to point out something that I noticed at the end of the parasha last week, which I think leads us into this concept of Vayachi. You know, the Pasuk tells us that um, Yosef, he started gathering the food in all through the years of plenty. And it's fascinating to me as well. Here you have a guy. His name is Yosef. He's appointed over the whole land, correct? He's telling you what's coming. Paro clearly believes in him. He's giving, he's asking everyone to give extra food. He's storing food, 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 not just for Egypt, but for the entire region. You'd think, if you saw this guy, that Paro made him the second in command, <clears throat> what would you think? That every person would be storing grain for themselves. Clearly they weren't doing that. Because all of Egypt comes and they ask Yosef for grain. What does Yosef say? No problem. Pay. How much you pay? Market value. Everyone's paying. <clears throat> Everyone's paying. Uh, what's it called? To, to, uh, to have the grain. Then they run out of money. What happens next? Anyone remember? They start selling all their livestock. Yosef buys all their livestock and he gives them grain. Okay? Hazaku Baruch. What happens after that? Land. They sell their land. They said, what are we going to die? We're going to die? They sell the land. What happens after that? He owns the people themselves. 
They become Avadim Leparo. He tells them we're going to make a deal. You're going to take the land, okay? It's going to go back to you. Here's zera, here's grain, seed. Go plant the land. You get four-fifths. Paro gets 20%. Baruch Hashem taxes. Okay. There's two words that I thought were very interesting in the middle of this narrative. The Pasuk says, when they brought their animals, Vayinahalem Balechem. Rashi says, what does Vayinahalem mean? Means he led them. He guided them. Balechem. He guided them with bread. It's a very strange language. So they brought in the animals and he guided them with bread. He sold them bread. What does it mean? Vayinahalem Balechem. And he guided them with bread. I'm going to ask you one more question. You keep reading the story. What happened? Now Yosef has taken all their money. He has all of their animals. Okay? What does he take next? Like we said, their land. Then he takes, they've all become slaves to Paro. What would you imagine the people would say to Yosef? How would they relate to this person who basically took the grain? Where did the grain come from that he has? Came from them. He's selling them back their own goods. And what's he taking from them? Everything. What would they say to Yosef? Mamzer. <laughs> what would they say to Yosef? Hamor. Choice words they would come, for, come up with. But if you look in the Basuk, you see that's not what they say. They tell him, Hechiyitanu. You have brought us back to life. You've given us life. They're so appreciative to Yosef. How are they using that word? They're losing everything in this trade-off. And I want to share with you a simple understanding of Chidush I had yesterday. I want to take you back in time. Yosef goes to the house of Potiphar. And in the house of Potiphar, the wife of Potiphar sees Yosef and decides, this is someone I want to be with. Every day she propositions Yosef. Every day. Morning, noon, night. Again, 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 again. Chazal tell us that the uh, the ta'amim the, uh, on the word vayima'en that Yosef refused her was shashelet indicating that she would come and he would say no, and that she would come and then he would say no, and then he would come and he would say no. Again and again and again and again and again. Right? What does he tell her? Why can't he sleep with a married woman? One would imagine he would tell her, I can't do it. It's one of the big three Averot. Adultery is uh, frowned upon in the Torah. <laughs> That's what he should have said. What does Yosef say? How could I do that to my master? When he gave me, put me in charge of everything in the house, except for the bread that he eats. The bread that he eats is not the food. It's a euphemism 
for his wife, the person who gives him sustenance, the person who feeds his soul, who fills his heart. Where else do we find this? When Moshe saves the daughters of Yitro at the well, Yitro says, they came, they said, this guy saved us at the well, he was amazing. Yitro says, go call him, not, he wasn't calling him to come and break bread. He wasn't calling him to start a fire in the toaster oven. Euphemism. <laughs> Let him come here and choose one of you as a bride. Let him marry one of you. Good guy like that, a good heart, is hard to find. Masbut. <laughs> Okay, that means that Yosef's expression, he said, look, I can't do it. Why? Hakaratatov. He, he put me in charge of everything. Except for you. Yeah? Now, why does he say that? Why does he tell her he can't do it because of Hakaratatov? Surely he should say he can't do it because it's zenut, adultery. The answer is that our rabbis are communicating to us, I think, two different ideas. Idea number one is, on the terms of adultery, Yosef had been battling and battling and battling. At this stage, he had nothing left to fight anymore. Our rabbis tell us, there's no one at the house. Doesn't only mean there was no one in the house, it meant that there was no man left in Joseph, in Yosef. He couldn't fight anymore. So when that was no longer a deterrent, when she'd worn him down, Yosef said, even if I was prepared, how could I do that? Hakarat Hatob. That means that the nature of Hakarat Hatob needs to run so deep that it runs deeper than the Gimal Averot Chamurot. It runs deeper than the three most cardinal sins. If a person truly felt the gratitude to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, there's not a single sin that he or she could do. Because they recognize, they feel in their bones what Hashem did for them. How could I do the wrong thing? If a person truly felt HaKarat HaTov to their wife, they could never get her upset. They could never not treat her like a queen. Never. So sometimes people are trying to figure out how to save their marriage and they're going through all sorts of different things. They don't need to do that. The reason why they're making all these mistakes and they're having is because there's a lack of appreciation between the two of them. If they worked only on the hakarat hatov, the recognition of the good, then what would happen? Even if something was very difficult, even if something was very problematic, they would be able to get past it. My friends, let's return. Yosef gathers all the food. Yosef, now the people, the Egyptians come and they pay for the food. And the Egyptians come now and not only do they have all their money is gone, all their possessions, all of their, right? How do you know that their mikneh is not only their animals, 
Because then they should be listed in the Pasuk. You know what they sold after the animals? Their TV set, their recliner, right? Their, their uh, what's it called? Their iPad, right? That means that at that stage they had sold all of their metaltilin. Everything they had was gone. But Yosef led them. He guided them. He taught them. Balechem. The idea that he had learned in the house of Potiphar. That even when things are terrible for you, and even if you're an Evid, and even if you're, the wife of this the guy is conspiring against you, to have hakarat atov when someone is doing something good for you. And the Egyptians learned the lesson from Yosef. They sold their houses, they sold Avadim. What do they say to, you, to Yosef? Hechayitanu. End of the day, we're alive because of you. I've communicated this idea many times from the Chinuch. The Chinuch says a person has an obligation to honor their father and mother. Why? Because of all the good that they did for you. And then the Chinuch says, and also, second reason, because you would not exist without them. Our rabbis explain these two ideas in the Chinuch represent two different parents. There's a set of parents where you owe them everything. Why? Because of everything they did for you. But what if your parents did nothing for you? You still owe them hakarat atov. You still owe them kibud avaim. Oh, I don't owe my father anything. He never did anything for me. You exist because of him. Hechiyitanu. You are alive because of your father and mother. They disagreed with you, they didn't treat you the way you want, you still owe them kavod. I'm not saying that a person has to go, abusive parents, hang around. Don't we're talking about a normal scenario here, Rabotai. Okay? Hechiitanu. Could you imagine? The Gemara tells us that there was a certain woman uh, who was married to one of the great Rabbanim, and she made his life miserable. And he still treated her with respect. And they asked him, why? You have a witch for a wife. He said, Is it, isn't it enough? Isn't it enough? Remember the Gemara? She saves me from sin. She saves me from sin. She takes care of the children. She saves me from sin. He found something to be appreciative for. And he viewed the marriage through the lens of that hakaratatov. My friends, if last week we read about Yaakov Avinu losing years of his life because he says how bitter it is. This week, when he is reunited with Yosef, Yaakov, Yaakov comes to life, so to speak. I need you to hear this. On two levels does Yaakov lose 33 years of his life. One, year, one level is because as a Sadiq on the level of Yaakov Avinu, he's being judged incredibly, uh, you know, harshly by HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The expectation from such a big Sadiq is so high. But on a simple level, a complaining person loses years from their life. Just let's, the simplest understanding of this message is a person who is negative is losing years of their life. One way is, you see the person, they're complaining, they're complaining, they're complaining, they don't leave the house. You had all these other options, 
You know, you're at the hotel. You know, you could go here, you could go here, you go here. This one's this, that's that, that. You don't wind up not benefiting to the max. But on a deeper level, we're now aware of the fact that happy people live longer. Do you know this? The stress of someone who's always upset literally kills them. This concept, my friends, that Yosef teaches the Egyptians, he guided them to see the lesson of Lechem that he learned in Potiphar's house. And they learned it. You know what? This guy, he took everything from us. But he gave us life. He gave us life. Was this ability to be able to see in a positive light even the most difficult of times? Let's come back here. One of the questions I like to ask miserable people, very angry people, bitter people, is what has to change to make you happy? What are you waiting for? You see, with Yaakov, at the very least, when he's now reunited with Yosef, we read, Vayechi. Last week we read about the death, so to speak, the years taken, and now we read about Vayechi. What has to change in your life? And there's a famous line I remember reading from the Kutzker. You know what he says? He says there's only two things in this life that a person should worry about. A person should only be nervous. <laughs> you hear this? <laughs> This is such a setup. <laughs> Only two things in life, excuse me, that a person should not be nervous about. Two things in life you should not be nervous about. Things he can't change. You can't change them anyway. Why would you be nervous? You get angry, upset, anxious. Can't change it anyway. Only two things a person should not be nervous about. Things you can't change. And things you could change. Because <laughs> if you could change it, change it. Don't be nervous about it. Don't be anxious about it. Don't be complaining about it. Change it. You know what else you shouldn't be nervous about? <laughs> things you can't change. Because you can't change it anyway. So this is the reality. Accept it figure out what you need in order to live in it, and then live within this. The unfortunate outcome of the Kutzker's pithy remark is that a person should never live with anxiety and anger and bitterness and upset. Now, like everything else in life, these things are easier said than done. 
Much easier said than done. But one of the things I realized a long time ago when I started learning by my rabbi, Rabbi Berkowitz, was that oftentimes I caught myself saying this. Easier said than done, Rabbi. Easier said than done. And eventually I realized that that's not a good answer. You know what else is easier said than done? Everything. Having a family, easier said than done. Finding a wife, easier said than done. Having a job, easier said than done. Getting up for shaharit in the morning, everything is easier said than done. The question is not whether something is hard, the question is whether or not something is worthwhile. If complaining kills us, destroys us, takes years off our life, so we have to figure out how to stop being complainers. How to start being people who are constantly in a state of gratitude. So, the homework for this week is to shift into a position of gratitude. To become annoyingly positive. Do you know those people? Like, oh my gosh, it's pouring rain outside. They're like, oh well, it, it could be hail. <laughs> For one week, that's going to be you. This food is underdone, Baruch Hashem. That means at least we could send it back and they'll cook it the right way. If it was overdone, there would be no takana. <laughs> I always thought of the irony of the fact that a steak, when a steak is well done, it's actually not well done. <laughs> Annoyingly positive. Someone's unwell, they're home, we get to spend more time together. You're waiting outside, extra 10 minutes for the cab, Baruch Hashem, we got to breathe some fresh air. We're inside all day. Annoyingly positive. When a person is capable of to feel all the time that no matter what's being taken from me, I'm getting something beautiful in return, then they can survive anything. Every time something is taken from you, you get something beautiful in return. Sometimes it takes a little bit more effort to see what that thing is. But every time something is taken from you, you're getting something beautiful in return. So the question, my friends, this week is when something is taken from you, just ask, and what did I get because that was taken? And by the way, it's fascinating. Once you get good at this, you start to learn how to turn everything into a positive. And you know what happens after you start to learn how to turn everything into a positive? You don't have to play the game in your head that starts to be the way that you think. And you know what happens when you start to think like that? You live the most beautiful life because you're constantly surrounded by beautiful blessings instead of constantly being surrounded by annoying uh, mishaps and uh, misdirections uh, and the like. May Hashem bless us to always be Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem. Amen. Amen.